You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Well, hello, everybody. Good to see you again. Hey. Hey. Hello. Before I get started on this episode, I'm just going to give a really brief content warning. Uh, if you're listening, oh, no, not you too. No, no, it's, it's really not bad. It's just my intro. Um, okay. so okay. if you're listening with kids or if you don't want to hear a brief description of some gruesome horror movie shenanigans, you can just skip ahead okay. maybe 30 seconds or so. Um, yeah. So consider so, yourself warned. So, so can I skip ahead 30 or so seconds? Because I'm not here for horror no, movie. No, no, Rachel, thing. you're, you're, you're all in. No, you gotta you listen. No choice. Okay. Sorry. So I am not much of a horror movie connoisseur. Uh, slasher movies, anything with a ton of gory violence, usually is not my cup of tea. Sure. Um, I can Fair. get behind a good creepy ghost story. It's mm-hmm. you know, Those um, freak me out too. Eh. <laughs> That's all by way of saying that I've never actually seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Ah. Uh, oh, oh, I have. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Oh, yeah. Um, not surprising you know it's it's kind of culturally ubiquitous though so i am aware that there's a character named leatherface who makes masks out of human Mm -hmm. skin um yep (laughs) and well when you put it that way it sounds terrible yeah like it's a horror movie i mean it it is yeah another horror movie that i have seen actually several times uh is the silence of the lambs which features uh Mm -hmm. the serial killer buffalo bill who is making a dress out of women's skin theme oh that's gosh yeah so (sighs) as grisly as that is leatherface and buffalo bill are who i thought of when i first heard about the habits of this insect which is named a (laughs) camphaspis petax and we're just gonna call it we're gonna call it a petax from here on because that is a mouthful and it doesn't seem to have a common name um so a petax yeah uh, sorry rachel Uh, we're about to we're about to get okay Yeah, Yeah, we're going to give it one this time. It seems like it deserves one, to be honest. Um, Apetax is a species of assassin bug. Oh, yeah. I'm going to get to the corpse stuff in a minute, but let's talk about assassin bugs in general first. (laughs) Okay. Sure. We'll just gloss over the corpse thing. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm not glossing over the corpse thing in my, uh, my, my topic, so we're good. Oh, excellent. Could be a theme this week. So uh, it certainly is. <laughs> oh boy. Buckle up, folks. Um, oh, assassin bugs belong to uh, the family Reduvidiae, uh, which is in the order Hemiptera, the true bugs. And most assassin bugs are pretty dull colored, kind of grayish, blackish, brownish. Although a few do have bright warning colors. And in terms of their appearance, they often have a kind of a, a narrow neck behind their eyes. And the back mm-hmm. part of their abdomen is pretty wide. It gives them kind of a pear shape. You probably you may have seen a, an assassin bug. They're like relatively common. Um, um, yeah, kind of, kind of maybe bottle shaped, kind of. Or... Yeah, bottle shaped. That's a good description too. Uh, 
One of the characteristics of the true bug order is mouth parts that are designed for piercing and sucking. And yep. oh boy, <laughs> do assassin bugs oh. have mouth parts designed for piercing and sucking? Oh, great. They have, yeah, they have a very long, sharp, hard proboscis, uh, which is also called a rostrum. And as, as the name might suggest to you, most assassin bugs are predatory. And they use that rostrum to stab the bodies of their prey. Uh, Lovely. Yes. That's they so then good. inject, yeah, they inject their saliva. Uh, and Why? similar. <laughs> Gross. similar to spiders in, in a kind of way that simultaneously kills the prey and also liquefies it inside full of enzymes Ooh, that hi. basically turn it into insect soup and they you know suck it, up that milkshake milkshake through oh, their rostrum wow it's the yeah. worst kind of milkshake <laughs> oh, gosh i was kind of thinking of making like a milkshake later and now i'm gonna be thinking about that oh, lovely i ruined it for you so sorry Oh, no, I'm still going to have it. Don't worry. <laughs> By the way, this, uh, this process is called extraoral digestion, just in case you wanted to know that. Of course. Of course it is. Yeah, sure. Is, yeah. I mean, it makes sense, that name. I don't yeah. like it, but it makes sense. <laughs> well, and all of that sounds pretty scary. Uh, <laughs> most bugs in this family, though, are not really much of a threat to humans, luckily. I mean, if you try to pick one up, it's going to give you a pretty painful bite and it'll take a few days to go away. It's going to swell up and be uncomfortable, but they are really not very dangerous. Uh, the exception is a group known as the kissing bugs, which are blood sucking parasites rather than predators. And they're native to, yeah, not great. they're native to central and South America and they carry uh, Chagas disease, Ooh. which yeah, it's a, That's it's an infectious. Good. Yeah. It's not good. It's an infectious protozoan. It's actually related to African sleeping sickness. And um, if you're infected right, with right. it, it can lead to long-term heart disease and digestive problems and potentially death. So I'm sure that will be a whole other episode someday. Yeah, probably. Oh, and the name kissing disease, it's not because you get it from kissing other people. It's because they bite you around your lips often. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't no. like that. That's worse. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so much for assassin bugs in general. But you're uh, you're dying to know about this horror movie bug, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> the the leather face assassin. The leather face yeah. assassin buffalo bill bug. Okay. Mm. So e a p tax. Oh, I said beetle. Gosh, bug. Oh my oh. gosh, how embarrassing. How dare you call it a beetle? You have to turn in your naturalist oh, no. card now. Mm-hmm. Do we get cards? I never got a card. Did you know? Ha uh -huh. <laughs> Oh man. I'm sure it's in the mail. <laughs> Okay, probably. So this bug, it preys on various types of insects, but the nymph has the gruesome habit of taking the sucked dry corpses of the ants that it eats, <clears throat> stacking them on its back and carrying oh. them around with it. But, but why? <laughs> Great question, Rachel. Yeah, yeah. Why? 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 Why, why are you doing that? Because then you you're going to get like... to it. An exoskeleton You're get eaten stack. by a bird or something, yeah. I mean, I don't think it'd be good camouflage. You just have a bunch of ants on your back, hmm. like stacked up. That's more weight Maybe to carry around. it makes you around. look really, really sexy. Hold that thought, there... Rachel. Oh. Okay. So um, just, just to add a little more detail about this horrifying 
habit. Um, a single nymph can carry a ball made up of up to 20 ant corpses, all stuck together with a kind of uh, glue that it makes in its own body. Oh, Ooh. you made it yeah. worse. So yeah. as you two so uh, cleverly asked, why does it do this? This seems very strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the best guesses that scientists had actually were that it does serve as a kind of camouflage. Really? And there okay. were a couple main thoughts. One idea was that the visual outline of the ants will obscure the outline of the bug, protecting it from predators. Okay. Sure, but covering okay. yourself in food may not be the best camouflage, but go on. Right. Right. The other idea was that the dead ants provide a smell camouflage so that the nymph would smell like an ant rather than like an assassin bug, making it easier to prey on other insects. Uh, like okay, other it might be like ant- why my dog rolls around in a deer carcass or something. Yeah. Okay, uh, but ant- dead ants, don't they have like a different chemical smell than like a live ant? So if you go after other live ants, like they're going to smell, oh, you're dead. We're going to try to get you out of the hive or whatever, or how- out of the hill. Yeah, very, very good point. Yeah, that may well be true. They'd have, they could have those dead ant pheromones on them. Well, some scientists from New Zealand decided to test oh, one of these hypotheses in 2007. So they didn't test the smell thing. That's what thing. you do with hypotheses. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. They put, uh, they put two different types of AP tax in a box with a particular kind of spider that's one of their main predators. And they put, the two types were one with corpses and one that was naked. I mean, they did this okay. more than, with more than one, right? But uh, yeah. That sounds like the worst choices ever. Naked or corpses? <laughs> naked or corpses? I, Is that a choice I want to be faced with in my life? I, yeah. no. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> so, and then they, they... Well, they figured out how many bugs the spiders would attack. And it turns out that the spiders attacked the naked bugs 10 times more frequently than the ant-covered bugs. Interesting. Yeah. And they also tested this out using dead assassin bugs with and without ants, just to make sure it wasn't something about the way the bug moved. And the Mm -hmm. results Mm -hmm. still held. Okay. The spiders would go for the ones without the ants. So good scientists quality control there. Oh, uh, sorry, what? A uh, good like variable quality control. Yes. And essentially, the scientists think that the outline is so obscured by these ants that the spiders had trouble recognizing the bug. What it is, yeah. But you okay. might be saying to yourself, "But Victoria, spiders eat insects, and ants are insects, so why wouldn't they want to eat the ants?" Well. Uh, but Victoria, I was thinking that exact question. Yeah. Very smart. Uh, it turns out that spiders don't like to attack ants because ants will swarm them. Mm. And so this oh, could explain okay. this could explain why the bug only uses ant corpses, even though it feeds on many different kinds of insects. Gotcha. So proposal for common name. Ant Corpse yes, yes, assassin yes. beetle. Assassin yeah, corpse bug. assassin beetle. Ah, you did it too. I did. Yes. I did. You called assassin it a beetle bug. too. 
ant corpse assassin right, bug. I'm, I maybe you can send your card to me now, so then I'll have. One. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> no, we'll figure it out. Yeah, I like that ant corpse assassin bug. Mm-hmm. We've or the named buffalo it. bill assassin bug. Buffalo bill assassin bug. Or the Leatherface. People think it's a sports thing. Then you like Leatherface assassin. Face assassin <laughs> no, it's not, they're not cutting the face off the ants and wearing it as a mask, though. So yeah. Okay. Uh, I like how we had this like warning at the beginning to skip the first thirty seconds, and we've always <laughs> uh, we've just rehashed all the stuff you talked about now. Yep. So you can go back and listen to the first thirty seconds now because uh, we're there. We just covered it all. Yeah. Sorry, kids. So I took a lot of this information. Uh, well. Various sources, but one of my main sources was an article by Joseph Stromberg in Smithsonian Magazine. It was helpful. And that is what I have about the Leatherface assassin bug for you this week. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Victoria. Mm-hmm. Oh. Do you want- <laughs> She's failing today. When we come back from Just the... Waiting. We're going to take a little break when we come back. Kirk is going to tell us something more about corpses. I'm going to, I'm going to leave that giant pause in there. <laughs> See you soon, everyone. Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash strangebynature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strange by nature. See you soon. So uh, welcome back. I, I love when this happens and when our topics kind of line up because we don't talk about this ahead of time. But actually this week's topic uh, is not one that I really chose. In fact, Rachel, you kind of chose this topic for me. Did I now? Do you recall doing that? I yeah. I vaguely so, remember you saying something interesting about something I may have recently covered. Yes. Yeah. Last week your topic was bearded vultures. Yes. Uh, and when you first started oh, talking, yeah. you hadn't re- you had not revealed which vulture you were talking about. No. And some keen-eared listeners may have heard that I had sort of like a big reaction to what I thought maybe your topic was going to be. Uh, and actually, mm-hmm. after the show. Uh, both Rachel and Victoria noted that my reaction didn't really line up with uh, Rachel's actual topic. It so did not, as horrifying topic, as it was. My top, yeah, well, my topic this week is, in fact, what I thought Rachel was going to talk about last week. Um, and I'm not really sure if I need to put a warning at the beginning or not. But um, I think I know where you're I think going it's actually, I think it's actually a beautiful and moving topic, but some people may be turned off by it because it involves death. Uh, and uh, human death to, to be yours. specific human death right. yeah uh, quite quite oh. graphically so okay. if that's not your thing you might want to just skip my whole segment to uh, timestamp 27 minutes 40 seconds there we go alright so <laughs> I know a lot of people uh, for whom the topic is uh, uncomfortable the topic of death 
And especially if you just lost a loved one, it can be a, a rough thing to go through. But I think mm-hmm. it can be really therapeutic and cathartic to also talk about death, uh, death and how we deal with it is part of the human condition. It is something that we all experience uh, is something important to address and embrace. And even though it may seem odd to some, I will use the word celebrate. Uh, you're always celebrating mm-hmm. your life, not celebrating your death, but you know how that goes. That's morbid. Um, so my topic, my topic this week is sky burials. Oh, Have you heard yep. of that before? There we go. Yeah. Okay. And you, and you, yeah. Where are you going? Yeah, that was so, not where like I was many going people at growing all. Up, <laughs> it's not right. So like many people growing up in this country as a child, I learned about people dying, uh, you know, through personal experience with family members and whatnot. And I was basically told, explained to me, there was two options for what we do with the person's body. You can either bury a person or you can cremate them. And those were really the only two options that were widely presented uh, and, and still are, you know, it's not like things have changed much since I was a kid. Um, though there are some interesting new options out there like composting and liquefaction that are being looked into, uh, but those aren't really widely available. Mm-hmm. But one option not widely talked about is some version of sky burial, uh, though it has widely been practiced around the world for tens of thousands of years. So I, I want to tell you more about it. Now, what came to mind when Rachel mentioned vultures breaking bone yeah. uh, <clears throat> in last week's show was a video that I saw many, many years ago. Now, I have literally no idea exactly where I saw this video or even how like I came upon it. feels like something that came on like a BBC documentary. Oh, oh, no. No? Absolutely not. Uh, no. That might be where I uh, this learned back, about it. I don't know. <laughs> this was back in the Wild West days of the internet. Uh, and it was probably even like pre-YouTube. I don't know where I was. I ended up in some kind of forum, possibly like an early version of Reddit or something similar. But somehow someone posted a video of a Tibetan sky burial. And one of the things I distinctly remember was that the video had to be reposted several times to several different video streaming sites like Mega Video and places like that because Mm -hmm. it kept being taken down due to the, shall we say, sensitive nature and very graphic uh, detail they went into in this video. Yeah. Uh, The video video showed in in graphic detail the steps involved in the Tibetan sky burial. So like uh, a body was brought to, to a mountainside uh, you know, a, a no longer alive person that were either uh, then dismembered or at least cut into to make access easier. And then dozens of, in this case, griffin and Himalayan vultures descended upon the body and proceeded to pick it clean right down to the rib cage, bones, skull, etc. cetera. Uh, and the particular video I stumbled upon showed all of this uh, for okay. real. Uh, which wow. was... <clears throat> you're talking about, you know, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre being <laughs> a gory. That was that, that was not real. This was very real. Uh, and I, wow. I, I thought it was very fascinating. Some people would not be able to handle seeing something like that. I thought it was a perfectly natural part of nature. So I didn't mm-hmm. have much of a problem with that. Um, what they do in this particular uh, practice is once all the meat and flesh is gone, uh, workers come in and they crack open the bones so the birds can get at the marrow. Um and in this way, the griffin vultures, the Himalayan vultures seem to be different than the bearded vultures that mm-hmm. Rachel talked about uh, last week as, as they could actually crush those bones and crack them open themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, it seems like these ones can't do that. So the humans do it for them. And um, once the vultures have done their work, 
humans then come in and collect the bones. They actually grind them up into a bone meal and mix it with barley, flour, tea, and yak butter. And then they feed that to hawks and crows who have been patiently waiting for their portion. Um, so yeah, this, this video may be out there somewhere still, I don't know, um, but it, it, it showed the entire process. Um, it's not for the squeamish, uh, mm -hmm. and I can see why it was taken down several times for violating terms of service and whatnot of whoever it was posted. Mm -hmm. So as I talk about that process, I can imagine to some people it seems incredibly strange or even like disrespectful, not the video itself, but the actual, the actual process. Mm -hmm. They don't, they simply don't want to think about like their loved ones being cut up and then torn apart by vultures. And I have to say, I could not completely disagree more. Uh, I find it very natural and beautiful, and I would 100% support my loved ones choosing this for themselves or for me. I actually <laughs> suggested once to my mom uh, that I would be content to have my dead body just placed in a prairie somewhere and have it just ripped apart and eaten by coyotes. Yeah. And she was like <laughs> appalled, appalled by that idea. I was like, you know, the blood drained from her face. She was like, oh my God, like the idea of, you know, that happening to her child was really horrible. I'm like, well, it wouldn't be me. It'd just be my, you know, my body, like whatever. You're returning uh, your nutrients back into the ecosystem and the the food web. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I think how we treat the dead is super unhealthy in, in my culture. You know, for those not mm -hmm. opting for cremation, we pump the body full of preservatives. We then put it in an expensive box that we're just going to hide underground anyways. We even sell people special pillows and mattresses for the casket. Like we're literally scamming people who are in grief and telling them they need to give their deceased family member proper lumbar support so they don't have a backache. And then we charge them thousands of dollars for like a coffin mattress. It is mm -hmm. utterly mad. And I, I, I find that distasteful to say the least. Yep. Uh, we then seal them in a coffin, bury that in a concrete underground vault. And we go to these great lengths to prevent people from actually returning to the earth, which by the way is what symbolically we're doing, we're returning them to earth. We do everything we can to like actually exclude them from the earth. Now, yeah. some of that is for cultural reasons uh, and some to be fair is for safety reasons. Like we don't want cemeteries polluting the town's water supply, right? No, so that would be bad. I f yeah, I, I just, I feel like whole body burials have hit peak absurdity these days. And, and yet we keep doing it. Uh, in cremation, we literally burn the body so it can't be of any use to the ecosystem. Uh, and then we usually put the ashes in a box and put that box in another box and hide it underground. Mm -hmm. uh, I, so I find both of those way stranger and less natural than being eaten by vultures. Maybe that's just me. Uh, but the Tibetan, the, in Tibet is where the sky burial is, is most widely you know, known from. It's, it's partially it's possible because uh, the Buddhist beliefs practice there uh, and believe that once a person dies, the body is just an empty vessel. And so it should be disposed of in a way that is helpful, as helpful to the environment as possible. And from a practical standpoint, as opposed to like a, a religious or cultural standpoint, mm -hmm. sky burial has some huge advantages. So first of all, it feeds wildlife. Um, sky burials have actually become kind of tricky lately as vulture populations have crashed. Yeah. Uh, and while they banned, banned sky burials, actually, after the Cultural Revolution, China has now allowed them again, and they are a protected cultural practice. And the vultures themselves are now recognized as th threatened population-wise and are likewise protected. Um, so it still does go on, but the population kind of limits, um, you know, like how often it can happen because the vultures have to be hungry. Yeah. Uh, sky burials came about in Tibet, not just due to these religious reasons, but because of practical ones. So when you're above the tree line living in the mountains, 
wood is a valuable commodity. So mm -hmm. it would be very expensive to cremate bodies. There, there were cremations or there are cremations, but traditionally it was only for like for VIPs because it was a special thing to gather that much wood mm -hmm. and essentially almost like waste it on something like this. Uh, waste is not the right word, but you know what I mean. It was like it was a it was like a big deal to spend wood on that. A splurge. And likewise, living in the mountains, a splurge. Sam. Splurge. Uh, likewise, living in living in the mountains, uh, the soil isn't very deep, right? Or essentially, it's non-existent in some areas. So burial in the ground simply is not an option. So a sky burial becomes very practical. Mm -hmm. And I, in my little talk today, I was kind of focusing on the Tibetan, you know, sky burials. But sky burials have been practiced around the world, not just in Tibet. Uh, they've been documented in some areas that are kind of culturally close. So parts of India, Mongolia, and China but also in Australia and even in the UK, there is actually evidence of sky burials taking place at Stonehenge about 4,500 years ago. And I think this was likely practiced in other parts of the world, but perhaps wasn't really documented well in the modern times. But there are a lot of cultural taboos about like keeping bodies away from animals and things too, depending on where you are. Yeah. So mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if it was practiced everywhere, but there are kind of examples from around the world uh so if you are alive you know part of your job is to keep yourself out of the food chain uh mm -hmm. other than as a consumer and by when i say consumer i mean like not in the sense of a shopper but uh as a consumer of other plants and animals but once we're gone though i, I think there's something beautiful about returning to the ecosystem in such a direct way and i see vultures soaring overhead every day at work uh, it'd be beautiful to think that they are alive because of a loved one and that when I die, a loved one could see a bird flying using the muscles it literally built out of what used to be me. Uh, vultures really are nature's cleanup crew mm -hmm. around the world. And it seems odd that we deny them their role when it comes to us. So uh, maybe we should, I'm just saying, maybe we should make that one of the options here. Uh, I don't, not hold my breath for that to happen anytime soon, but yeah. I think it'd be pretty cool. Uh, but that's what I have for you this week. Sky burials. So. Thank you, Rachel. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. Honestly, I've thought I've heard of sky burials before, and I've actually um, put some thought into the whole practice that we have here in the U.S. at least, and it I does. That's yeah, not great. It's not great, and honestly, like the preservation process that happens is really chemically intensive, and wasn't really a big thing until like Lincoln's. Uh, uh, burial because they had to parade him around mm -hmm. like for weeks so everyone could like mourn him properly mm -hmm. and such and after that it like became kind of a craze and now it's seen as a must and personally speaking there's something called like a, a natural burial where they don't pump you full of chemicals or anything and it's a natural shroud and you get put into the earth personally I would also like to be a tree but natural burial seems a little less uh expensive as well so yeah thanks Kurt. we'll make a deal with you rachel if you become a tree and i become a vulture maybe we can get that vulture to land on the tree and hang out oh that sounds awesome all right well we're gonna go to a break and when we come back uh we'll have rachel's i believe corpseless topic is that correct sure <laughs> okay Ooh, no guarantees mm. stay tuned well find out All right, so I, I kind of, I didn't say, okay, so my topic doesn't truly have corpses or anything like that. It, it's 
ha- it's it, it's cool to learn about. It's safe for kids to learn about. It's a little sad, but it's also it makes sense why it's sad. So today I wanted okay. to talk about a special kind of caterpillar um, that not only is like I guess pretty special, but it actually be uh, because of some of its properties, it actually sparked an entire industry. Oh. So, a bit more than 5,000 years ago, in ancient China, the practice of breeding and domesticating a species of insect began, um, and eventually it became a worldwide phenomenon, uh, leading to a dedicated trade route just for this product. Any guesses what that product was? Silk. I'm going to go with silk. Yeah, it was silk. So is the Silk Road, all of those things. All Silk comes from an insect. Um, to be specific, it they, China especially were breeding Bombyx mori uh, or the domestic silk moth. Uh, so yeah. they're pretty amazing in several different ways. So I'm going to get into it. Um, but I, I won't go in s- super big depth uh, on some things. Um, like metamorphosis, because I've already talked about that on this show. So if you don't remember, go back and listen to it. Um, but there are a number of unusual things. Um, so one of those things is that today, after 5,000 years of, uh, breeding and domesticating this, uh, the domestic silk moth is completely dependent on humans for reproduction. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, uh, as in, if they were to escape in the wild, they absolutely could not survive? Yes. Well, I'm, interesting. Well, partly, so the, um, the domestic, the adult ad- domestic silk moth, they don't have any mouth parts. They don't have any feeding parts anyway. So yeah. they aren't okay. eating anything. But... Um, Due to the domestication process, uh, humans obviously want like the best silk cocoons because their chrysalis or cocoon is what is the silk in the first place. Um, so they bred for that and they bred for the whitest, uh, most pure color that they could because it's a lot easier to dye a pure white than it is to dye like a brownish color. Yes. Uh, right. For example. Um but it also caused the moths to become larger and has and have larger bodies, but they don't have the larger wings necessary in order to actually support those larger bodies. So the adult oh, moths okay. are not able to sustain any sort of flight. Wow. It's like a domesticated like chicken that can't fly. Exactly. Huh. Right? <laughs> um, so let's get into the cocoons. Um, these yeah. caterpillars, uh, they are born after about f- two weeks or so as little eggs. Uh, they emerge and then they gorge themselves almost exclusively on white mulberry leaves. Uh, these are a species of tree. Really? This is a species of tree that is pretty common in China and around Asia. Um, but yeah, they pretty much exclusively eat white mulberry leaves. Uh, and they do this for about six weeks. Um, and then after they get to be in their last instar, they start to bind themselves. They find a suitable leaf 
and they start wrapping a single silk thread around and around that is produced by salivatory glands. Um, It's quite literally raw silk. And they wrap it around and round and round. So this is one thread that makes the entire cocoon. Um, this thread it can be up to a kilo- a kilometer long. Whoa! Whoa! That's nuts. I was I, yeah. That, okay, that answer, answers one of my questions. I was thinking like, how much do you really get out of each cocoon? It can't be that much, but no, it is. Yeah, really so generally is. when they harvest them, they they get anywhere from 300 to 900 yards, or meters, not yards, um, out from that, just wow. because of the process. But, uh, wow. yeah. And remember, huh. this is still really tiny. This is 7 microns in diameter. So it is thin. Um, so obviously... Right, so it takes a lot of it to make. It right, does. It takes hundreds of um it takes hundreds of cocoons in order to make a single type of garment which is why silk was so sought after because they're just it's so expensive to be able to um, breed and collect all of those cocoons um yes so to go into a little bit and this is kind of where the corpsey kind of thing comes in um in order <laughs> right so before we get to that part, um, once they've spent about like two weeks in the cocoon, they start to emerge as an adult. Um, they, uh, just like I talked about earlier uh, in the earlier episode about um, metamorphosis, like their body just completely breaks down and they eventually like create them, recreate themselves as a moth. Um once that's done, the adults actually uh, have a an enzyme that is produced that causes the silk to be eaten away because they don't have any mouth parts. So how right, are they, they going to escape? Their way out. They can't chew their way right. out. So they have an enzyme that after they uh, get to a certain stage in the uh, cocoon, once they become like an adult it secrete uh they are able to secrete this enzyme that creates a little hole that is just big enough for the moth to escape Mm -hmm. and be able to dry their wings out and the wild moths obviously because there are some wild versions of this moth um to be able to fly off find another uh non-related uh moth or silk moth and have more babies and then die (laughs) um now here's where the sad part is as part of silk production you want to have the most the longest thread that you possibly can and if you allow the moth uh to finish uh metamorphosis what happens is it cuts that singular thread into multiple like hundreds of threads that you then have to tie together okay that are right it's really difficult to do so and it causes the quality of that silk to be much lower so unfortunately 
what they do is once uh, the cocoon is more or less fin is finished um, being built and they uh, and it's maybe been a few days, what they do is they take the cocoons and they drop them in boiling water. Oh, yeah. Which I did mean, not know about the boiling water part. Yikes. Yeah. So it does kill the silkworm caterpillar, um, which is unfortunate, obviously. Um, a lot of the time they are actually used for eating as well. Like they make decent um, food, I guess, uh, for people who eat insects, which insects are delicious. Mm -hmm. um, some insects that are edible and actually good. Um, but it allows that uh, uh, cocoon to unravel and the caterpillar to just fall out and allow them to be able oh, really? to gather it much easier rather than... So it, fall, you know. it, it literally just falls apart in the yeah. hot water? Mm-hmm. So it makes it a lot easier to collect and thus make, you know, silk. Don't get them tangled up with the one next to it, though. <laughs> right. Ooh, that would be rough. Um, but yeah, I had just recently learned more about this. Now, they're not the only type of silk moth, uh, and they are not the only kind to have been exploited. We actually have one species here in Minnesota. It's one of the largest ones that I'll probably talk about eventually. The Cecropia moth also creates a silk cocoon, um, <laughs> which is really fascinating. Um, but I, I more or less heard uh, more about this recently, and I wanted to learn more, and I thought it was just fascinating. Um, awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. what I have for you both today. Strange well, and wonderful. Yes. Yeah. And slightly right. tragic. Well, that was this episode. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, well, purposes. well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week. Until then, stay strange. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks everyone for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.